Japan by River Cruise is made possible by the generosity of our sponsors. Are you Asian? Do you look Chinese or Japanese or whatever? Have you considered being a model? Well, this is your chance, as there has never been a higher demand from our London and New York publications for Asian-looking models. Every picture in our archive of an Asian person in a mask sat on a subway alone has been used, and we need more. We'll fly you from Asia to London for the shoot, and after your compulsory 14-day quarantine period, at your own expense, we'll pay you £100 for the shoot, which is probably worth a lot of money in your money, isn't it? Find out more at fitsthenarrative.com. Welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. On today's show, schools all over the country close down to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. But what to do with the children whose parents work during the day? Well, if you said, definitely not put them all together in the schools that are closed down to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, get ready to put your palm straight through your face. Also, Ali's got your River Cruise recommendation. Yeah, Ali? Yes, this week's recommendation is a cruise that goes through Hakata's textile district and a boat specially decked out in Hakata Ori, an ornate and traditional Japanese textile. The seat covers, window curtains and tablecloths are all made from this special fabric, even the life jackets. And this cruise is a must for any Japan travelers who are confident in their ability to tread water with 30 pounds strapped to your chest and back and look fantastic doing it. Plus, in the first week of March, River Cruise ticket sales have seen the largest first quarter increase ever. In our second half, we'll talk to the JRCA's Director of Marketing, Fukujiri Shosuke, the industry genius behind the decision to start printing River Cruise tickets on toilet paper. But first, Soap Talk. Bobby, USA, USA Judo, back from America. How you, yeah, how's your week been? I am officially back. Uh, the less said about that country, the better. It was nice seeing family. Uh, it's still a dumpster fire. But uh, but I'm back at work and uh, doing a couple interesting things. I uh, am going around doing man-on-the-street interviews as part of a survey for KBC. It's not going to be televised. It's actually just for in-house purposes. They, they want to interview people to see how much they are watching and how much they are enjoying and how many people know about the Furusato Wish, uh, the Hometown Wish initiative, the program that they've been doing for the last year. Right. So that so you're presenting a TV program and in order to persuade people that are working on that program, their job is worth doing. You're making another program where you're <laughs> interviewing people, praising them about that program. Well, so my program is called Asades Ryokosha, which Asades is the name of the show and it's the Asades Travel Agency. And so it's just one small part of this Furusato Wish thing, which is a whole, all the shows have something that they do for this project. All the radio shows on KBC have something that they do for this project. And so they want, they've already kind of decided to continue it, but they want to see how many people actually know about it um, and have a video that they can, they can show in-house. And of course, the most accurate way of doing that is to send a foreign reporter to the street uh, and ask enough people until you get the answers that you want. 
Well, I mean, they don't they don't edit out like when someone's like, no, we don't watch it. We don't know. They're like, well, do you watch TV? What do you watch? And and they record all of that. But there is a whole lot of like, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of it? Well, it's, it's good. Not, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, it's definitely exactly. a thing, probably because you're asking about it. <laughs> exactly. And it's also like they presume that you're in it. So they don't want to upset you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So we do get um, we do get a lot of recognition, but I think that there's like a selection, there's like a lurking variable there because uh, because we tend to like go up and ask people who are making eye contact and going, oh, it's that guy, it's that guy. Yeah. So there's the lurking variable there, and then the funny thing is like um, they they're trying to make the video entertaining as well. It's not just like a straight up survey. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. Um, yeah. But so they're like, so what can you tell us about the show? Do you remember anything? And they're like, I remember that time that you went to this town. What did you do there? And I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't don't remember. That was like eight months ago. I don't remember who I talked to or what I did. Uh, And then sometimes they're like, no, no, we've definitely watched it. We've seen it. uh, But like, we can't remember a lot of details. And they're like, ask them if they know your name. I'm like, oh, do you know what my name is? And do you know what somebody said? A Japanese, a, ja- a Japanese middle school girl. Do you know what she said? Atsugiri Jason. She said, no lie, Brian. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> she's a, she, she's she, a fan of the podcast. I love she it. Guessed, she guessed James. And I said, no, it starts with a B. And she went, Brian. <laughs> Amazing. Fan, uh, love it. We need, to, we need to get a subscriber to the podcast. Yeah. I, but I, I, I can totally believe that Maybe maybe because this is not for broadcast, the rules are different. But in my uh, brief experience of doing Vox Pops on the street, we tended yeah. to go in search of a conclusion. That, that is to say, the director had a certain thing that he was hoping people would say on the street. And yeah. we would just keep going until we found one person that broadly said what we needed. And then we'd go home. And I remember doing, uh, doing yeah, one yeah. on pe- people's ability to speak English on the street. And I would go and speak to them. And then I would say, do you understand what I'm saying? And this uh, person was like, oh, yeah, I spent seven years working in the States. It's nice to meet you. What do you do? And I had a really interesting chat with them. And then uh, I then ushered them over to sign the release because they, they, they have to get the producer to get them to like sign something. Yeah. And she just she just gave me this look like, you know, the thing they do over their face to go, no, no, don't do that. No need. And so I was like, uh, why, like, why, why don't we? Have I done something wrong? They went, ah, there's no point in getting her to sign anything. We're never going to use that. Yeah. Now that's <laughs> that's so- what they do with a lot of those segments. They don't want somebody who who is fluent. Um, the English language segment that I do, I try to try my best to like get them to incorporate correct answers and also to when somebody says something that's not exactly the right answer that we're looking for, to make a point of going like, well, if you said that, you'd still be successful in that conversation. But here's this way that we're, but uh, a long time ago when I was first starting out, I did a man on the street thing for a show, a segment on a show that never ended up airing. And the idea was they were going to go around and ask if they were confident in their, in their English ability. And when they found people who were confident in their English ability, then I would sneak up on them and insert myself into the conversation. And then when they didn't understand, I would be like, you idiot. Ah, that's not pleasant. And within like the first the first hour of them explaining that that was what we were going for, I was like, I don't really want to do that. And I lucked out. 
because they couldn't find a single person who said that they were confident in their English ability. Brilliant. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a segment I saw on YouTube the other day, which is Jimmy Kimmel sends one of his producers out to ask Americans. Well, no, the first question she asks is, uh, are you Republican? Uh, oh, no, she doesn't ask that. She says, are you a Democrat? Which is a very good way of getting a Republican to say that they're a Republican. Yeah. Because Repu- Republicans don't like to admit to being Republicans, but they're very quick to correct you if you suggest they might be a Democrat. Right. And so then there's there's a map of the world, and she just says, name a country. That's all she asks. And they can't. Uh, at one point, she even pointed to America, and they couldn't get that. Uh, Mex- they pointed to Af- One person pointed to Africa and said that was Mexico. Uh, she said, no, that's Africa. And the guy looked genuinely surprised. Um, the same guy then pointed back to Africa. She went, that's still not a country. Uh, absolutely astonishing. And I, 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 part of me thinks that this is kind. This kind of TV is bullying, that these people probably aren't to be blamed for their poor education. And it's just not fair to expose them that way. But in another sense, they have volunteered to be on camera. And... If you have just the smallest amount of intrigue and awareness of the world, there's a camera crew stood next to a massive map and they're asking you to stand there. And if if you can't even consider that whatever you're about to do might involve a map, and if you've not spent any time in your life addressing a map, then maybe that's a bait that you shouldn't take. You know, I I agree with all of that. Uh, I I do have like that split view that some parts of me feel bad and think that it's it's mocking in a way that's not deserving. I mean, a big part of the way the social structure is in America is it you keep people uneducated, you the system keeps them stupid, and then they're easy to trick. Uh, But then another thing that I sometimes wonder about is how much of it is intentional on the part of the person who's giving stupid answers. Um, because even in the English interviews that we do, you know, every once in a while, at least once each segment, we'll meet somebody who goes, okay, you want me to say something silly. And if I say something yeah. silly, then I'll get on camera and they'll ham it up. Yeah. Playing up to the cameras. But I've also had the experience of, uh, being interviewed for the news and like, it's hard to be put on the spot in front of a, of a camera. And especially if it's something that you have an opinion about or you're, but you're not necessarily super knowledgeable about it. Long time ago uh, during uh, the Bush administration, um, I went to an anti-war, anti-Iraq war protest and uh, had a sticker on that said no blood for oil. And I went with my mom, my, I was going mostly to support my mom. She didn't want to go by herself. And my mom's a lot older. Uh, she might listen to this. My mom's a little bit older. And, uh, so, uh, so I went as moral support and I think I was the only person there under the age of 20. Uh, the, the only, no, that's not right. Only person there under the age of like 40, everybody else was significantly older and I was 19 or 20. And, uh, so when the news media showed up, they looked around and they were like, here's one person who stands out. Let's go ask them a question. And I was aware of them and was aware that they were looking at me. I was like, I'm not going to answer any questions. If they ask me something, I'm just going to say, sorry, I'd rather not be interviewed. Uh, and they came up because I knew I wasn't knowledgeable. I, I knew like I couldn't talk intelligently about it other than to say I am opposed to war generally. And they came up and they said, why are you wearing that sticker? And I had done all this practice for turning them down. But in my head, I went, oh, I know the answer to this. And I went, because I don't support the war. And they went, and why not? And I went, 
Ah, uh, because uh, the oh. Bush administration and the blood and oil. The thing about blood and, and oil and <laughs> blood for oil. And I think I did that oh, for no. like 20 seconds. And then they said, okay, and could we have your name? And I went, yeah, right. <laughs> Putting my name on this. <laughs> and I walked away. And I avoided the news for like three days because I was terrified that they would use that. Because that's the kind of thing they do. It's a shame. Those kind of experiences can often put people off going on the media ever again, but that obviously didn't work for you. There was a BBC question time one too, where basically just a a xenophobic woman, just a woman that said, uh, in our hospitals, there are there's translations in different languages who's paying for that and they just let her spout and spout and spout and i do i do think the media does have an obligation to just say we shouldn't broadcast this it's not in that person's interest it's not in our interest i I remember when the brexit thing happened uh the agency uh of which we were both a part uh were, were saying there was so many publications that needed a British perspective. There was newspaper columnists that kept saying, do you just know any British people that will say anything? Uh, television too. And I said, look, if I'm going to do this, I have to just be a, like a random British person. Cause that, cause they were pitching me as, Oh, this guy studied EU law at Kyushu university. He'll have something intelligent to say. Yeah. And, and there's just no, absolutely no way I could. And I got into a bit of a fight with um, actually a TV program that we have mentioned on this show. So I won't mention the name again uh, in case you get in trouble where I, I just said, I I made up an excuse. I said, I cannot, I don't want to be interviewed by them because uh, I have a flight to take. I'm flying to Tokyo this day. And they said, that's fine. The crew will meet you at the airport. And so they yeah, sent yeah. a camera. The airport is a perfect backdrop because it's like, it confirms <laughs> exactly. the fact that you're, you're coming exactly. from somewhere else. Exactly. exactly. That's exactly what they did. And, uh, and at one, basically it just got to the point where I, I said my pre-prepared thing. I, like I, I'm just, I, I'm just picturing like them, them hearing that, like, we have to interview him about Brexit at the airport <laughs> and the director being like, this is perfect. We'll just be like, so Britain's left the EU and, and you're here already. I <laughs> <laughs> was fast. Yeah. But, and it just got to the stage where I said my pre-prepared thing and I sent, I spent a lot of time answering that answering the question in a way that i thought was balanced and appropriate and saying you know and and putting all the caveats that i wanted to say which was uh i'm not a representative of all of the uk of course i'm not i voted in the minority but that that said you'll unlikely find someone in japan that uh is supportive of brexit because typically people that live abroad tend to have a more international perspective blah 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 blah. and all they ever used in the report was um zanendes this really nice tightly scripted and they just they just uh they just used the bit which where i just said that's a shame yeah how's your uh how's your week going well i've spent apps i've spent loads of money this week uh, this is the week where the Edinburgh Fringe happens. So for, for listeners that aren't aware, there's a comedy festival that I don't stop banging on about, which happens in August uh, of every year. And this year is no exception. And although the Fringe happens in August, I think this year it starts on the 6th of August, every decision, every major decision about what shows are going on and where they're going on basically happens this week. This is right. this is deadli- This is deadline week. And so what they call the, the discount deadline where if you want to get your show in the official fringe program, uh, you, you 
the I think the deadline's next week, and you save a hundred pounds. Believe it or not, it costs four hundred pounds to list a show in this brochure. Good lord! And, yeah, and that's literally just to put. You know, it's a thumbnail size image, and I think about eighty words, and that's it. I mean, they claim you get access to participant services, but all I've ever gotten is a lanyard, and you pay this per show. And this year, uh, it seems like I'm going to be performing at least three shows that I have a role in the production of. Yeah. So already, already my expenses just to be in the fringe program is about one thousand two hundred pounds, so about one and a half thousand US dollars. And this is before I pay the venue rental costs. This is before I fly myself there. It's before I pay for accommodation. And uh, there's a comedian called Tony Cowards, who's a really, really funny guy. Nice guy. He's a he's a kind of a jokesmith type comedian. Yeah. And he said uh, the coronavirus could, could in fact, you know, I'm not going to butcher his joke. I'm going to go onto Twitter and uh, find his joke. Uh, but basically, the, the fringe. Uh, for those of you that don't know, is an opportunity. It's a great opportunity for comedians because you get this amazing platform. You get to do the same show for uh, multiple days in a row. Uh, there's all, all your friends are there. It's a like it's a, it is the best place to be in the world if you're a comedian or if you're a comedy fan or actually if you're a fan of the arts. There's dance and plays and everything else. Uh, but it does cost a huge amount of money to go. And I, I know people that have sold out shows for 25 days in a row and still somehow because of production fees and PR and all the other things that suck your money out of you getting drunk after the show. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if that does, if I, oh, honestly, the, the amount of money you spend on alcohol pales into insignificance, just to have one billboard costs 400 pounds. Uh, and in fact, I've got a friend called Alex Keeley who once said at the end of his show, uh, I hope you'll donate money to the show because it's my dream to not come up to here every year and be fined for doing what I love. Uh, <laughs> the idea that he's just performed a show and it's fine. But I found yeah. Tony, Tony Coward's tweet, which is the financial impact of cancelling the Edinburgh Fringe due to coronavirus shouldn't be understated. Potentially, it could mean hundreds of comedians being thousands of pounds better off. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So uh, on that uh, depressing note... Why don't we go to the news? So speaking of uh, coronavirus-related cancellations, Japan is canceling everything. There have been a spate of uh, event cancellations all over the country. Saga, uh, Saga, where we've both done work, was supposed to host the 50 best a restaurants in Asia events, which was this huge culinary event uh, that got how, canceled. How are they going to move them? Maybe that was Saga's trick. We're going to host the 50 best restaurants in Asia competition. Seems like they've, they're all in Saga. Well, actually, when I think of Saga and a big event, I think of the Balloon Festival, right? Because that's what Saga's famous for. Yeah, they should do it. They should do it. That's the way to fixing it. If they're worried about people gathered in a tight space because of coronavirus, they should simply combine the balloon festival and the chef's event. They should put 50 chefs in balloon, hot air balloons. They should cook their meals well up in the air. Yeah. And all people have to stand underneath with their mouths wide open. And that is a perfect have... combination of the two events, because one of the competitions in the balloon festival is you've got to fly over a designated spot and try to throw something perfectly onto an X is that, that true? marks the spot. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. But they, could, <laughs> they could combine those. They could have the chef cook a, a little small uh, appetizer yeah. and then just try to throw it into the waiting mouths or onto a plate of somebody standing below. I come up with the best ideas. Yeah, we should pitch that. We should, we should take it in. 
Um, but no, so I got canceled the uh, Sakura Marathon. You know, the Tokyo Marathon got canceled for um, for general participation. I think they only had like the professional athletes run. Yeah, which is annoying because they asked me if I wanted to run as a professional. I said not this year. I'll go. I'll go as a general participant. Uh, and now they won't let me change back. So I'm not running the Tokyo Marathon this year. At uh, uh, yeah, that statement is true. I am not running the Tokyo Marathon this year. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Uh, so Asades, uh, had scheduled a spring market uh, that was again, based on the food of the wish thing that got canceled sagas, uh, spring festival got canceled. So they're canceling things right and left. And, uh, actually as of the day that we're recording this, the entire country announced that they were canceling, uh, school. They're canceling classes for elementary schools and middle schools through schools out schools out for health reasons so until i think the until mid-march and then they're going to reevaluate and see whether or not they're going to extend the cancellation uh and so this was like a very last minute thing teachers were struggling to figure out like how to give the kids a curriculum that they could study on their own for the time period that they're not going to be in school and then of course the largest outcry is from parents who you know a lot of families have to they have two income households, so both parents work. So if this is elementary and middle school, what do you do with kids who who can't uh, be on their own? One parent is going to have to take the day off. But it's kind of this thing, right? If, if like no, none of the kids should be at any disadvantage in their exams because all the kids are in, are in the same boat. So like, shouldn't shouldn't really bother the parents, should it? They'll catch up eventually. Yeah, I mean, especially if they grade on a curve. I mean, everybody's not going to. Yeah. Be. But uh, maybe, but no. maybe, maybe, maybe Japan should just have one generation. They just write off just one year. So like, so, so we, they just say these kids, we're going to give up on the education. It's too, too much effort to go back and finish the curriculum. We'll let just you lot leave. And you'll, like, you'll just have to, uh, to kind of cope in a professional environment with the education that you've received up to now. And they, we can put in some very strong discrimination laws to prevent these people from doing, being discriminated. And it would just make the workplace more fun. Well, I think this is funny because uh, this is a testament to how you have never had any experience, um, like most foreigners in Japan, with being an English teacher in the school system in Japan. Because if never, you had, never. if you did, you would know that matriculation through the grades in elementary school and middle school has nothing to do with whether or not you have finished the curriculum. It's automatic. They don't hold people back. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, you don't have to know anything to, to make it through. If you if you don't study your academics and you don't get good scores, then you just don't get into an academic high school. But they don't fail kids. Well, it's nice that they use the same rules for ALTs as they do for graduating the schools. Yeah, you don't need any credentials. Uh, <laughs> but so the parents were like, what are we going to do with our kids? We need a place to. And we were actually really worried about whether or not they were going to cancel the preschools too. Uh, because by that, you know, trying to prevent the spread logic, you'd think they would, but they didn't because preschools are not. So this is the this is how they seem to be making the distinction. Educational centers, they're closing down, but child care services, they're keeping open. So what they've done for elementary schools and middle school parents who are saying, you know, we're not going to be able to take care of our kids. They say, that's OK. What we'll do is we'll keep the schools open, not as educational centers, but as childcare services. So your kids can come here and hang out here and be supervised. We just won't teach them anything. Because it was the knowledge that the virus was attracted to. <laughs> the virus was good. Learning, that's that's my way in. 
That's how I'm transmitted. Goodness me. Yeah. And has this affected your kids? Uh, well, no, I mean, they, they're still going to preschool. Um, they haven't, they haven't come down with any colds or anything yet, but it was really funny. Uh, they had like, they're in the dance class at their preschool. A handful of kids take a dance class at the preschool. It's like an elective that they can take. And so the dance class had a presentation and my wife sent me a video of them performing uh, very cute, great stuff. I was being a dad and going, oh, they're so good. They're so just being proud of your kids. And then after the dance contest of the dance presentation, recital even, after the dance performance, they get all the kids in the school to line up and walk past them and congratulate them by giving them high fives. So you're having <laughs> every single child in the preschool touch each other's hands. Maybe they should have incorporated a hand sanitizer into the dance routine. Yeah, yeah, So it's yeah. like step, ball, change, step, ball, change, wipe, wipe, spray, spray, spray. And that way the kids who are watching can learn how to do the hand sanitization the proper way. Except that if it's educational, then the virus will be will be looking for them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we can't possibly <laughs> let, the, let the virus hear. <laughs> the, vi the virus will find out how, we, how we're trying to get rid of it. And uh, And what's it like in terms of kind of hand sanitizers everywhere and, and that kind of thing. Are people being really pernickety about it? Yeah, hand sanitizer is everywhere. Um, any store, any shop, any restaurant that you go into, it has left out a bottle of hand sanitizer uh, by the by the front door um, with signs up. I have seen a handful of places, people are tweeting that there are signs posted on how to wash your hands in public restrooms and in all the places where they have hand sanitizer. But in most cases, uh, the soap has run out or the hand sanitizer is gone or it's not there to begin with. You know how Japanese public bathrooms, uh, like in the, the subway stations and things like that, tend to not have any towels or soap? It's kind of like a bring your own handkerchief and soap situation. I'm going to have to say, yes, I remember this. Otherwise, it seems like I never wash my hands. Uh, well, I'm, it, maybe it's more common to have that in rural areas. I mean, to be honest, I one of the things I liked most about Japan was the fact that convenience store toilets are always nice and clean. Okay. And yeah, yeah. My like where I lived in Hakozaki, I was right in between two convenience stores, which had remarkably better toilets than I had in my home. So I would go and like if I needed to to take a dump, I would make a make an event of it, <laughs> and I would uh, and I would. I'd like go and pay a bill or get an ice cream or something and enjoy the washlet, enjoy the nicer toilet paper. Um, like, you know, I actually came up with a word for it, which never caught on, but you know, the Japanese, when they're eating out, they say guys shock. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, like I, <laughs> I once said to my girlfriend, uh, guy ben itekimasu, uh, which, uh. which she understood like guy meaning outside <laughs> Ben outside, meaning jobby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm offering outside jobby, which she got, she understood it, but, uh, she, she said it was vulgar. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's convenience store bathrooms. Restaurant bathrooms tend to be very clean, but public restrooms, like restrooms in a train station or a public park tend to not have soap, not have towels. Uh, and well, also often just a hole in the ground only so run often. cold water. Yeah. And often it's, it's one of the, the proper old fashioned ones where you have to stoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, some, and sometimes it's 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 a like a hose and a and a a like a little bucket. That's what you wash your jo jobby away with. 
Yeah, you're you're getting pretty far out into the countryside now, but I, yeah, they tend to. Oh, I'm in a hole. I've dug a hole right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you say that though. Do you remember when I uh, moved to Fukuoka in 2014? Outside the park, the side of the park where the print shop and the Italian restaurant is. If you know Fukuoka, I think you'll know where I'm talking about. So there's the the park. So you've got Love FM Studio, and then you walk through the park. And yeah, on the yeah, other yeah. side of the park, you have whatever the street is. I don't think it's Watanabe. It might be Meiji Dori. Kokutai Dori. It's uh, Kokutai Dori. Right? There's the Saizeria there, right? Uh, that's or was it the Joyful? I, I know what I know what you're talking about. Mm. And there's a Kinko's. My point is that directly opposite that Kinko's was uh, a, a, a urinal, right? It was a male-only urinal. Well, I say male-only. It was. Can women use a urinal? Yeah, technically. I mean, well, whatever it was. It was, you could see it from the street. It was absurd. They got rid of it after a year or two after I'd gone, but you literally could stand, like you could you could see your mates pissing. Uh, hmm. lud- absolutely ludicrous. But I've seen loads of Japanese people piss on the street. Yeah, I think it's uh, more of a drunk thing. Um, but so to get back to the whole coronavirus stuff, uh, one of the other articles that I saw today was, uh, I think it was Mainichi Shimbun, um, popped up that, you know, they've canceled school so that the virus won't spread from people in close contact. And lo and behold, what happens when you cancel school is the kids are all gathering together in like mass numbers in places in Shibuya and like other popular areas to hang out in Tokyo, which like, what did you think was going to happen? It does seem that, that the spread of the virus isn't accelerating fast. Oh no, it's accelerating extremely fast. I mean, that's I exactly, think, yeah, yeah, that's exactly Bobby. I think the virus is listening, right? So <laughs> I, was, I, was just, I was trying to give the virus a false sense of security and you've just ruined it. They're, they're tracking, they're tracking the numbers. Um, I don't know exact numbers, but I know that, that every time you turn on the news, there's new cases, there's cases in new places. And then a lot of it is, I mean, people aren't testing because they don't want to confirm that they have it. And then a lot of people aren't testing because they aren't aware that they have it. The symptoms can be very mild, not really any different from a cold symptom or regular flu symptoms, or some people don't have any symptoms at all and they're just carrying. Uh, There was an incident where somebody uh, found out that they had symptoms and were carrying after going to uh, a concert, like a live concert packed into a live house. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. And does it cost money to get tested? Is this available on health insurance? I presume it is. It is available on health insur- health insurance. Somebody told me it costs about five thousand yen to get tested in Japan. Uh, con- right. Contrast that with America, where somebody came back from China, felt very sick, went in to get tested, found out they just had the regular flu, and then was billed like over two thousand dollars for their hospital. Goodness bills. me! Compare that to Singapore, where at the airport, if you have any symptoms, they will give you a free test, and they'll send you the results in three to six hours by text message. And then if you're confirmed to have it, they'd send a special ambulance and treat you. Compare that to Korea, where even if you are, what's the, what were you supposed to, like an undocumented migrant, right? Even if you're in the country illegally, right? then you can still go and get a test and the uh, doctors are not obliged to tell any authorities uh, about your your visa status. It's, it's astonishing how different, I suppose, what Singapore is able to, you know, have you seen Singapore's map? Singapore have this amazing website which documents every case, where they worked, where they traveled to and from. And oh. there are some there are some advantages in being a surveillance state in that you can survey everything. 
Yeah. Everybody's criticizing the government for the way that they're handling it here. Everybody is criticizing the government to the point where on one TV show that I was on uh, this week, they said, we're going to do a segment about, you know, the school's closing. We're going to do a segment about uh, what you can do to prevent getting it. Um, and we're going to ask everybody kind of what they think. And we would appreciate it if at least some of you would say something that's not critical of the government. It doesn't have to be supportive of the government, but just say, well, this is where we are. So what we can do now is is to try to prevent it uh, as individuals, just try to make sure that we don't get it and that we don't spread it. Because everybody is saying the government has no idea what they're doing. They're doing all this stuff that doesn't make any sense. They're taking all these steps that are wastes of time. The whole, you know, we didn't test our government officials because if they tested positive, they wouldn't be able to go back to work. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that is absolutely crazy. It's like, I, I don't want to suffer chemotherapy, so I don't want to get tested for cancer. Chemotherapy seems awful. Yeah. And, and you saw the picture, right, where uh, somebody tweeted a picture of all of the government uh, ministers that were responsible for the coronavirus like committee. And oh, it's yeah, just yeah, a yeah. sea. It's just a sea of old men. And I, I responded by saying they have their best men on the job and none of their best women. <laughs> well, I mean, it is. It's very typical of Japan. And I think you can see in the response that they are just making it up as they go along, which makes me wonder, like, why why was there not like a set of protocols in place for this kind of event? Like, shouldn't there be? Yeah. It's this, well, this is one of these instances where... I really, really hate it when people go, um, the secret about being an adult is to realize that everyone's just making it up as they go along. Everyone, And that's people that say that are apologizing for their own imposter syndrome. And these are the same people that will happily drive over a bridge that they're sure is safe because there are people that know how to build bridges that don't fall down. Right? Like, most people aren't as incompetent as those uh, that, that have the pitying degrees of self-esteem that they feel the need to tell the younger generation that. But this is one of these instances where I you just live in hope that there are enough grown-ups that have plans for this. And what's interesting is there are. Yeah, no. Um, and I think what you said about it just being a sea of old people in the government that are handling this, one of the, the main issues that this has identified is that the Abbey administration and the government in general just are not concerned or not interested in the well-being of the people at large. And I think one thing that you hear so much from young people here when you talk about politics, you know, why Japan has such terrible voter turnout, they go, well, because I'm not really interested in politics, I don't really care, and I don't really feel like it has any bearing on my life. And I think this has shown two things very clearly. One, it absolutely does have a bearing on your life. And two, that whole not caring about politics, uh, it's mutual. <laughs> like, the politicians don't give a <laughs> shit about you. <laughs> 